Then let's come before the Lord in prayer as we ask for a blessing on our reading of his scripture. Shall we pray? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the privilege that we have to sit for a moment under the proclamation of your word. And as we open that word, as we prepare to hear, we pray that your spirit would so bestow upon us grace that our eyes might be enlightened, that our ears may be unstopped, that our hearts may be receptive to the implanted word, that it may bear much fruit to the glory of your name. So bless us as only you are able, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Then turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. It's page 211. 211 in our pew Bibles. We're going to read all of the chapter, but with a particular attention to verse 5. Joshua 3. I have a feeling the cadets are going through a Joshua program. Last year it was Joshua 1 verse 9. This year it's Joshua 3 verse 5. We'll see what it is next year. Joshua 3. We'll begin at verse 1 and we'll hear the word of God. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it of two thousand cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you've not passed this way before. And now the words of our text. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he, shall, that he will without fail drive out from, among, or from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people... And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethane, and and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Again, verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you.
brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. My guess is that um, this morning maybe uh, some of our homes were a little more rushed, a little more hurried as you got ready for church. We get ready for church, of course, every Sunday, and maybe every Sunday it's a little bit rushed. It's a different routine than normal, but on Cadet Sunday you have to find your kerchief and you have to find your shirt and you have to make sure that you're all ready for church. You've got to come on time so that you can greet or so that you can be ready to sit in the front of the congregation. So things get a little bit busy on Cadet Sunday, and getting ready for church takes a bit of effort. You've got to get ready quickly. And that idea of getting ready, that idea of getting ready in order to accomplish something that's very much uh, before us in the text that was chosen, that is the theme for the cadet program this year, that's essentially what Joshua says to the people. He says, get ready because of what you're going to have, what you're going to see, what you're going to experience. Get ready because of what the Lord's about to do. Now, as we hear those words, as we as we consider what Joshua means by these words, we do have to be careful not to take them out of context. I saw a lovely, um, I think it was probably from Amazon somewhere, an Amazon ad on one of my devices that was of a mug, a coffee mug, that says, I can do all things with a verse taken out of context. And I thought that is a, a, an accurate and a brilliant thought and one that is worth remembering. Even now, when we read verse 5. The danger we have in reading just verse 5 is that we, we don't hear it in its broader context, the context not only of chapter 3, but of indeed all of God's redeeming work. After all, Joshua now comes to the people and says, consecrate yourself because tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, how did Joshua know that tomorrow the Lord would do wonders among them? Well, Joshua knew for a couple of reasons. He knew because the Lord had already commanded Joshua to get the, ready, get the people ready for this very work. In Joshua 1 verse 2, the Lord says to, Mo, or to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now normally that wouldn't really have been much of a difficulty, especially if you went to the fords of the Jordan where you could walk across. It was shallow, people could get across. And if it wasn't at this time of the year, if the Jordan wasn't overflowing because of, of all of the rains that were swelling its banks. But at this point, when God says to Joshua, get ready to cross the Jordan, Joshua understands that God's going to have to do a miraculous work. It's, it's impossible for this many people to be able to cross the Jordan at this time of the year with all of their cattle, with all of their little ones, with all of their possessions. No, the Lord would have to work a miracle. And Joshua knew that the Lord could and would work a miracle because he had seen it done before. Don't forget, Joshua had walked on the floor of the Red Sea. Joshua was one of the two, you remember Joshua and Caleb, of the two spies that trusted in the Lord and whom the Lord did not require uh, judgment from. He had killed all the other generation. For 40 years, they'd walked in the desert. But Joshua and Caleb... They had walked out of Egypt. They had walked through the Red Sea. They had seen God's power when Moses had struck the water with his staff and the waters had separated. Joshua knew what God could do. Joshua had seen it every step of the way in the desert when the Lord fed them with manna, with quail, when the Lord protected and provided for them. Joshua knew that the Lord would be good 
to his people. And he knew that because he knew that God was faithful. Joshua understood the faithfulness of God to his covenant. Joshua understood that God would not let his people be defeated. That's why when he and the spies had come back from the land of Canaan, even though there were so many terrifying things, giants, walled cities, enemies too numerous to count, Joshua's confidence had been in his God because he knew that God could defeat, could overcome, could could remove any obstacle from the place and the path of his people. So Joshua knows what God is able to do. Joshua knows what God is going to do. Joshua says to his people, consecrate yourself. Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you because Joshua understood God. And that's an important principle that we must never forget when we consider this text, when we consider texts like this one, when we hear this command to do something, get ready, says Joshua. We can take this text out of context and not just lose its meaning, but we turn it inside out, in fact, because this text can become to us like one of those passages that says, if you want God to do something amazing, if you want to see something amazing, well, then you've got to get yourself ready. Or if you do your part, God will show you something really remarkable. Now, there's a germ of truth in that. As in all lies that are told, there is a germ of truth. Those who are blind cannot see the wondrous things of the Lord. And we know that we, we, when, or we know that we have sight. We know that we have been given eyes to see that the Spirit of Christ has worked a new heart inside of us when we prepare for the mighty works of the Lord. Just think of John the Baptist and and his ministry, his entire ministry, you might say, is summed up in this verse. This is what John the Baptist could have been saying to all of the people of God as Jesus was preparing to stand on on, or come into the, 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 the people of Israel in his ministry. John the Baptist could well have said to everyone, consecrate yourself. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And thus, John's reminder to see what God is doing. Indeed, that's why we've also been reminded today in our preparatory exhortation for the Lord's Supper. What else is that? What is the preparatory exhortation except consecrate yourself, get ready, because the Lord is going to do do wonders among you. There is in, in all of life quite honestly, almost quite literally, no greater thing than that we will experience. No more glorious sight, no more amazing experience than when that bread is broken, when that cup is offered. It may seem to us so ordinary because we're so used to it, but it is truly a remarkable, awesome, amazing, wonderful gift of God's grace. But we need to be careful that we don't turn the message of grace into the message of works. That is, we need to be careful we don't say, if you get ready, then God will do something great for you. We don't want to take the, the, the approach that the world takes, the world religions take, that all religions made by man take. Because all religions taken by man have this pattern. They say, if you do it, if you do it, then God will do it, or the gods will do it. If you go to church right, if you worship right, sing the right songs, 
If you give the right amount in the offering, if you say the right words, if you don't do the wrong things, if, 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 then God will bless you. God will make you happy. God will bless your home and give you all that you desire. It's so easy for us to fall into that mentality, into our Christianity, our religion, our piety, being about impressing God to gain blessing or at least to avoid judgment. Sometimes that's the thing that we do. We think, well, if I keep my nose clean, if I don't do anything untoward, if I don't get into too much trouble, then God will leave me alone and He won't punish me. But that's not the God we serve. That is not the God that is coming to bless His people. That is not the God Joshua knows. And that is not the God that Joshua calls the people to get ready for. Joshua says, Consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among us, among you. Precisely because He knows who God is. So that He's saying, because of who God is, people, because of how great and glorious He is, because of what He's about to accomplish, get yourself ready. Get yourself ready. Prepare your heart in anticipation of the faithfulness of your loving God. You don't deserve it. He shouldn't be doing it for you. You have no reason to expect it. But your God is going to do amazing things. So get ready to see it. Get ready to see it. And this context is important because of what Joshua then tells the people to do. He says, consecrate yourself. Now, this, this word here, John Calvin does acknowledge you as much, can, can be understood, can be interpreted here really as just get ready. Just get ready. Get ready because tomorrow amazing things are going to happen. But it's also true that the word consecrate has at its um, heart uh, uh, the, the concept of holiness, the concept of being separated unto. That's what holiness is, right? Uh, holiness has uh, as its idea of being, a cut, uh, being separated unto. So you think about baptism, when we baptize babies, then we're saying that baby, or baptism is saying, that that baby belongs to God. That baby is holy for God. That's why the parents are asked before the baptism, do you believe that this child is sanctified, is holy in Christ, that is not good, not morally good, not without sin, none of those things, but that this baby belongs to God. Indeed, that's what holiness has as its concept. There were holy forks and holy knives in the temple of our Lord. They weren't better knives. They weren't more useful knives. They just belonged to God. And that's what made them holy. And it's that idea that exists in this word consecrate, which Joshua uses when he speaks to the people. He says, consecrate yourself. Make yourself holy. Separate yourself from all that is sinful. Separate yourself from the unclean. Separate yourself from that which prevents you from seeing God and get ready to see what God's about to do. For the Israelites in the Old Testament, that meant various things. We don't need to discuss too many of them. But there were ways in which the Israelites would have consecrated themselves, things they would have done, things they wouldn't have done. But at the heart of it, what it was was about focusing their hearts, focusing their minds, turning away from the things of this world to the God who is going to bless them. To the God who is going to show them wondrous things. And, and 
in so speaking, Joshua, I think, challenges all of us uh, to see our relationship with God in a different way, a way that we're not used to. For, let me suggest to you that um, God was going to come and do this amazing thing. He was going to separate the Jordan. He was going to set the, send the people into the land of Canaan. He was going to do it. He was going to do it because he's faithful, because he's gracious, because he's good. Nothing was going to stop God from doing and accomplishing his work. And I think sometimes because of that, we have the attitude that if God's going to do it, then do we really have to get ready? I mean, can't we just wait for God to do it and then just, you know, say, call me when it's done? Sometimes you hear people speak like that in the church even. Sometimes you hear people speak like that when it comes to living for Jesus, when it comes to doing good things. They're commanded, they're called, they're told they've got to love their neighbor as their self. They've got to be sacrificial in their service to others. Whatever the command is, you're told to do something. And people can say, well, I, I, just, I just can't, I can't. I don't, have the, I don't have the strength to do it. And, and the answer comes, but God is sufficient. God's Spirit's enough for you. Well, if God wants to, to work that, that in my heart, then he'll have to do it. I, I can't do it. It's like we say, well, God, do something in me. Make me believe. Make me uh, repent. Make me uh, obey. Make me live for Jesus. You get it done. And call me when it's finished. Call me when you've made me this great Christian. That's, that's not the approach that the believer should take. Certainly not to the things of God and to what he's accomplishing. I mean, think about, think about what God is about to do in this event. I mean, we, we, we read what God's about to do. He's going to stop the, 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 the Jordan from, from flowing up, up by Adam, which was quite a distance away. The water stood up like a heap so that all the water flowing down suddenly stopped. Can you imagine the people out there in Zarephan? All those people in Adam all of a sudden seeing a wall of water. must have been stunning. And then none of the water flowed anymore so that on the way to the, uh, to the Arabah, there was all of a sudden dry uh, and barren ground. People down river must have been amazed. What's going on? What's wrong with the river? So what did God do? Did God do something physical? Did God do something biological? Did God do something geographical? What did God do? Did God do something political? Did God do something economical? Did God do something ethnical? What did God do? God did a redemptive work. That's what God did. God was fulfilling His promise to Abraham, a promise which involves the redemption of the whole world. God had said to Abram, I'm going to redeem the whole world through you. And that story of redemption leads ultimately, we know, to the cross of Calvary. It leads to the empty tomb on, good, on Easter Sunday. It leads to Jesus Christ. But that story also leads to the Israelites being in Egypt and to their exodus in the Reds, through the Red Sea and their wandering in the desert and their entering into Canaan and their living in service and in praise of God within the kingdom of God. What God's doing here is not just political, economic, or ethnic. It is indeed redemptive. It is salvific. It is the power of God to deliver for Himself not only a people, but a world. Just remember, the exodus out of Egypt was a picture of our being saved from sin. 
And just as Moses was a picture of Jesus delivering the people out of sin, so too Joshua is a picture of Jesus bringing the people into a life free from punishment, death, judgment, into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening in this passage. it's, a, it's an amazing story. We would have gotten all worked up about the water standing up by Adam. But the amazing thing, the really remarkable thing in this story is that God is saving a people, an undeserving, unworthy people. He's fulfilling His promise. He's bringing about redemption for all of the world. He's even saving us in this moment, isn't He? He's fulfilling that work of redemption that will involve, will ultimately embrace all of us here today. It's not just a wonder, a miracle the Lord's performing. It is rather the wonder of His saving power displayed in the parting of the Jordan River. It is God declaring to His people and declaring to us today that they enter into His kingdom by His power and that nothing can stop the redemption of God's chosen people. This was a a powerful word of comfort. A powerful word of grace to God's people. And that's exactly why Joshua wants the church to get ready for it. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows just how wonderful this message is going to be. And he says, people, get yourself ready to see amazing things. Amazing things that even we are called to get ready to see. God does, of course, amazing things every day. Amazing things every day. The birth of a child is an amazing... The conception of a child is an amazing thing. The sun as it rises and sets each day, the the cold air, the snow on the ground, each day is filled with the glorious evidence of God's powerful presence. But we want to think more redemptively, don't we? We want to think about... Where is God working His saving power in this world? Where are those moments where God is lifting people out of sin and establishing in them the righteousness in the kingdom of His Son? And as we think of that, we certainly think of things associated then with the church, don't we? We think of cadets. We think of kingdom seekers. We think of catechism and Bible studies. We think of worship services. We think of the Lord's Supper. Surely these are the moments, aren't they? These are the moments where God sends forth His power and removes all obstacles so that the hardened heart is made alive, so that the lost sinner is found, so that the darkened eyes are enlightened. You cannot begin to to appreciate just how amazing it is when anyone, when a young man in the cadet program acknowledges Jesus Christ as their Lord. That's not routine. That is not the church's powerful influence. That's not mom and dad's brilliant abilities. That is God in His power removing all obstacles. Obstacles greater than the Jordan River. Oh, make no mistake. We face obstacles today greater than the Jordan River. That was just water. We live in a godless age, an immoral world. We live with such burdens, uh, such winds, such cold winds that press against us in this day. How can we ever expect anyone to come to faith in Jesus Christ? 
to experience the redeeming work of God. Oh, says Joshua, just know this. God Himself will do it. He will do it. And He will do it whenever His Word goes forth. Whenever His power is sent. We come to church each Sunday and sometimes we think that these are things that are boring. We come to church and we think it's just routine. It's just regular. It's not amazing. And it's not wonderful. We see the bread. We see the wine. And we just think, well, oh, church is going to be longer today. But there is nothing more amazing, nothing more wonderful, nothing more glorious than to again see the body of our Lord Jesus Christ symbolized in the bread broken for us and the blood of Jesus Christ symbolized in the wine poured out for us. There is nothing more amazing than to know that God in His mercy has accomplished a work so powerful that it is unstoppable, that there is no hindrance, there is no impediment, there is no power that can stop it from coming to be. We don't always think of the church and of the sacraments and of the spiritual nourishments of our souls in this way. Too bad, or too often rather, we think about going to church as, as boring. We don't want to put on the stiff and uncomfortable church clothes, those clothes that we only wear once a week. We feel restricted. We want to have fun. We want to run around. We even think that sometimes, don't we, about the Christian life. The Christian life generally is not very fun. It's, it's what we're not allowed to do. It's what we have to do. It's, it's not what we want. It's restrictive. It's boring. It's, surely it's not necessary. I mean, God loves us the way we are, right? God loves us for who we are, right? But surely we are in a sin and sorrow-filled world. I mean, do you love you the way you are? Don't you see in you selfishness and pride and anger? Do you not see the power of sin, the the current of the Jordan River flowing through you, which breaks relationships, which causes you to be thoughtless, careless, and proud? Is that what we want? Do we want to stay that way? Do we want to be that way? What about our guilt? What about our realization of God's judgment remaining on us? Do you want to live in that fear? Do you want to live in that burden every day? I mean, if you had the choice between the desert of judgment and the land flowing with milk and honey, would you really want to live in a desert? The sad truth is yes. The sad truth is every day, every week, every month, yes. We have a struggle. We have a problem. We ourselves don't see how much we need God's sovereign grace. Which is why Joshua reminds them Which is why Joshua calls them now to prepare. To consecrate themselves. Because God's about to do an amazing thing. Not because the people got prepared. But because God is faithful. God is gracious. God is good. But Joshua wants his people to see it. He wants us to see it. He wants us to stand amazed at the God who is so great and glorious that He would take death itself in order to redeem for Himself a people. That He would suffer on the cross of Calvary so that we might live. So that by getting ready for church, by working through the preparatory exhortation, by confessing our sin, by earnestly putting away our sin, by heeding the words of Joshua, getting ready for church, for the Lord's Supper, for cadets, for kingdom seekers, by getting ready. We're not proving our worth. We're not testifying that we know what, uh, that we, we uh, expect God to, to answer our acts with, res- with rewards. Instead, we are saying, God, I know who you are. 
I know who I am. I know I don't deserve any blessing, but I know who you are. I know you are gracious, good, and merciful. I know that you bless your people. And I know you're going to come and you're going to provide a grace that is so amazing that it will fill my soul with light and wonder. And I want to see it, Lord. I want to see it. I want to be ready for it. I want to be able to experience also this grace. To be sure, it can become for us a bit of pride. Sometimes we can think of ourselves as better than others by our preparatory abilities, by our works righteousness. Sometimes even in worship we lose the plot. We imagine that our suit makes us better instead of our suit expressing our gratitude to God in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get bothered that somebody's sitting in our spot in the pew as though that's what matters when it comes to worship. Too often we come to church to prove our worth because we want people to see that we've come and not to get into trouble. But we should instead come because we know God is so great and His grace is so rich And His mercy is so wonderful. And we need Him so much. We need Him so much. Because it is the Lord Himself who comes to work redemption in His people. Joshua says that. Joshua shows that. The Lord shows that in the use of His ark. You remember that the ark goes forth. The ark was the throne of God and it was where God dwelt. God Himself, you understand, came to dwell among his people. It was God himself who would work these powerful blessings. Here was Israel's real and true blessedness. It was not simply that the Lord did amazing things for them, but that he lived among them. He dwelt among them. He was their king. And that also then informs the words of Joshua's call to consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will perform wondrous works. The consecration of Israel was ultimately a response to the Lord's very presence among them. That is, because God's holy, in fact, because He's holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, therefore Israel was also to be holy. Always to be holy. That's why when the Lord established His tabernacle, when He ultimately built His temple, His priests had to be consecrated. They had to wear special clothes. They had to be anointed with oil. They had to be anointed with the blood of the Lamb. They had to be made holy. They had to be set apart. They had to be distinct for the service of God. They weren't allowed to own any land in Israel. They were to live off the generosity of the people because they were set apart for the ministry of grace. And now God, the God who did that in those days, who now calls Israel to set themselves apart, to say, I don't belong to the world. I don't belong to sin. I don't belong to the waywardness and the wickedness of this life. I belong to the living God. I belong to the God who is holy, holy, holy. Just as the priests were called to be holy, just as Israel was called to be holy, so we in Jesus Christ have been called to be holy. Because a holy God demands a holy people. Isn't that exactly why the Apostle Peter, when he describes what God has done in Jesus Christ for the church, says that He has made us to be a kingdom of priests. 
A kingdom of priests, he says. Now it's not just the Levites that are holy unto the Lord, that are dedicated to God, that are uniquely to serve the Lord. Now it's every member of the church, says Peter. Every member of the church for whom Christ has died, in whom the Holy Spirit has worked faith and regeneration. And therefore, says Peter, since God has made you to be a kingdom of priests, you are to be holy. You are to be holy because He's holy. And He doesn't, Peter, describe for us exactly what it means for us to live in this newness, this gratitude, this response of grace when he says in 1 Peter 1 and in the verses 13 through 16, he says these words, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, so also be holy in your conduct, since it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Prepare your mind, says Peter. Be sober-minded. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. No, says Peter, consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself, for the Lord will do wonders among you. You see, the call to preparation is not only a call for church, it's not only a call for the Lord's Supper, it's not only a call for cadets and kingdom seekers. It's really a call for all of life, isn't it? It's a call for us as New Testament Christians to anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ, to look forward to the day when He will come in glory on the clouds with the loud trumpet and when He will enter into judgment with the living and the dead. That's the ultimate glory that God is going to perform, isn't it? When He brings the new heavens and the new earth into reality and when He establishes people upon that kingdom for eternity. That's what we look forward to. That's what all of our church services are anticipating. That's what our Lord's Supper services look forward to. That's what our cadet and kingdom seeker programs are preparing us for. For the day when Jesus Christ will come and will lead us in victory as He rides upon the great white horse. As He defeats all of His enemies and establishes His kingdom for all eternity. That's really what a, a picture of what was going on in the Jordan. That's a picture of what's going on in the Lord's Supper, and that is the thing that we look forward to most zealously. We want to enter into that kingdom for all eternity. And what does that require us to do? That requires that we prepare ourselves, that we consecrate ourselves, that we get ready to see that glorious day when Jesus will return. How do we do that? We do that by denying the old self, by putting to death the sinful self, by bringing to life the new We do that by saying no to sin and yes to godliness. We do that by saying no to the world and yes to our Lord. We do that by living not in our way, not in our world's way, but in the Lord's way. By putting to death our passions in our former ignorance and bringing to life the holiness of Christ in Jesus Christ. The holiness of God in Jesus Christ. It is the response of those believers then who know God. Because if we know who God is, we will live in conformity with Him. And we will do that every day. Not just when we need some blessing from God, but every day we will anticipate, we will expect, we will look forward to the glorious coming of our Lord and for the 
renewal of all things. What a day that will be. What an amazing day that will be. So let's consecrate our hearts. Let's consecrate our lives. For the Lord will perform wonders among us. Let's ask Him for grace in that in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise You for this word of encouragement from Joshua of old. A word to get ourselves ready because You're going to do some amazing things. Lord, we know that You do that every day. We know that You do that every worship service, every time we celebrate the sacraments, every time we study Your Word, You do amazing things. Lord, all around us we can see the evidence of that generation upon generation of believers. Lord, this is an amazing thing. We're going to see it next Sunday. The bread and the wine. It's amazing, Lord. When we have eyes to see, when we have hearts to believe, then worship is hardly boring. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's remarkable. But we pray, Heavenly God and Father, that You would show us the greatest good, that You would show us the most amazing thing, the return of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and help us to be ready for Him. Indeed, each and every day, Lord, help us to consecrate ourselves to see the wondrous things that You're doing each Sunday for church, each Thursday for kingdom seekers and cadets, and each week and each month and each year, help us to set ourselves apart. Help us to say, I don't belong to the world. I don't belong to this wicked way of living. I belong to Jesus. And I'm getting ready to see amazing things. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.